Welcome to Infinite Possibilities, Rise from the Ashes of Your Past, a show where emotional health and resiliency are the keys to moving through all that stuff from your past that's holding you back in your life, business, and relationships, and hijacking the success you desire. Listen in and feel empowered to step into all of your possibilities. Now here's your host, Susan Desenzi. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to this episode of Infinite Possibilities. I am so excited to have my special guest with me today because we've talked for a little bit now about, you know, all this adulting stuff, right? Being on this roller coaster of emotions and how sometimes our emotions and all the pain that we feel gets in the way and stops us from living our potential and living our lives for, with purpose and passion. And one of the things that I talked about in an earlier episode was how when you see a baby, this baby is just this pure love and how this baby really comes into the world without having any of these associations or these meanings yet. And so they really haven't learned to kind of you know, sit in that place of fear. And in talking to my very special guest, what I realized was that that's not always true, that sometimes babies come into this world through kind of a traumatic and fear-based way that really can create stress and kind of set the stage for a higher tendency as that baby grows into a child and then an adult to have a more difficult time. And so I'm really honored to have with me today Michelle Smith, who possesses 20 years of experience as a clinical hypnotherapist, a childbirth educator, a birth and bereavement doula, which is so crazy awesome to me, and an energy healing practitioner. And when you hear her, you're going to hear how the soothing sound and the calming sound of her voice just creates this very calming and gentle presence. And in serving as this educator and advocate for families as they really navigate through the you know, challenging medical system, she also recognized the importance of how to kind of help parents really become more educated in the childbirth arena, how to really connect with their inner wisdom and release their fears and create this very deep and profound relaxation habit so that she could help decrease the impact of stress and birth trauma and the perinatal loss that can happen. And she has developed a very specialized kind of system called the birth ease system that really includes addressing the stress reduction, parenting, grief, trauma, and really the birth-related post-traumatic stress that can happen. So, oh, and I'll tell you about our podcast at the very end too, because that's really super exciting as well. So I would love to give a warm welcome to Michelle Smith. Thank you so much for being here. I am deeply honored that you're with me today. How are you? I'm good. I'm so excited to be here with you today. Very honored. Very excited. Well, thank you. So what I'd love to start with before we kind of get into some of the trauma and some of the fears that, that babies and, and even you know the, the mom and, and the families can go through with the birth of their child, 
I would love to know exactly what a doula is. We doulas provide non-medical, educational, and emotional support to families during pregnancy, birth, and often postpartum. And we provide continuity because so often now when women are giving birth, they're with a practice where there's multiple different doctors, may have multiple nurses during the shifts. The nurses usually have more than one patient. And there's not this prolonged care. As doulas, we're there when someone, their labor is active. And we stay with them till about two hours after the baby's born. And we're there answering questions, helping them to navigate this process of birth. Sometimes it's really smooth and it's really easy. Mm -hmm. And you just invite them to change positions. Other times we see something coming and we might say, I know this isn't what you wanted, but I just want to make you aware that they may come in and talk about the need to start Pitocin or something like that because mm -hmm. it's been nine centimeters for five hours. And so we try to really meet families where they're at with what they want for their birth. Mm -hmm. But I feel like we create this relationship so that they can relax and feel safe in their birth and that helps to make for a smoother birth and we provide education as well which helps reduce stress oh i love that i love that so is it like and i'm still i'm still trying to understand because i you know i had a kind of a challenging birth where i was a week overdue and i had i don't remember the technical numbers you'd know better than i I, I want to say I ho only had like a plus one or a plus two maybe or something like that of amniotic fluid. I just remember. Oh, you had low amniotic fluid. Yeah. Yeah. I, I basically yeah. had none according to them. Yeah. That and, is extremely low. And they're like, you need to go over immediately and get admitted and we need to start inducing you. And, and then because I had such little fluid when they started the inducement process, his heart rate, my son's heart rate kept dropping really low and they were going to do an emergency C-section, but then they did this amnio-infusion thing where they infused, you know, fluid and, and kind of, I guess, re-expanded, I guess you could say. Kind of rehydrated your uterus. Yes, thank you. <laughs> they yes, replaced thank you. the amniotic fluid so yes. and float and, and the cords cushioned. And, yes, and yeah. then, yeah, he wasn't squishing the cord anymore. And, you know, so... That's like my kind of, you know, limited experience. And so what is the difference? I guess two questions. What is the difference between a doula and a midwife? And do you help to deliver the babies? Or are you there really for this kind of educational and, and calming support and really helping to honor the mom and the baby to kind of prevent the traumas and the stresses? Yeah, it's that. We don't catch, okay. yeah, yeah, we don't catch, um, catch. non-medical. Now, many of us can have, just from experience, or I used to be a midwifery birth assistant, so we have some medical knowledge, but we're not, and even if you have a midwife acting in the role as a doula, doulas, our role is non-medical. Okay. to tend for those emotional and I feel like, too, spiritual needs of 
the family. Yeah, yeah. So, you, so a woman, a family could have a midwife and a doula. Yeah, and that we like it when that happens. Oh, I love that. Yeah, All right, yeah. wonderful continuity of care, especially if we work together closely. There's a few midwives here that I work closely with um, in Central Florida, and there's a hospital that. I'm so honored when I go in. We're so excited to see each other. And we work so beautifully together. And that just translates to our families mm -hmm. in a way that is exponential. Wow. Really does. I love that. So you could, you could, you know, participate as a doula in a hospital setting, but you could also participate as a doula in a home setting if somebody wanted a home birth, right? Exactly, or birth center birth. Yeah, we oh, can go. That. Yeah, we go where our families go, and some doulas prefer just to do a home birth or birth center birth because sometimes hospital births or the medical practices are very sometimes dishonoring to mm. families. So sometimes, I mean, it can create secondary, you know, post traumatic stress or caregiver. Yeah burnout sometimes but you know we go basically where our families go i love that i love that that's just so i don't know you know it's so to me it brings the intimacy back mm -hmm. that whole not just the birthing process but to the whole you know a lot of people think that intimacy is about sex right and intimacy is about that connection, to me anyway, it's about, and, and as a therapist, it's about that connection and that closeness and that vulnerability to, to yourself and with others and, you know, with yourself to others, right, in, in all those ways. And I think that so many of the things in our mainstream kind of society now here in the Western world have become so kind of disconnected and so rigid you know like you've got these schedules and you just go 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 and everything is kind of high stress and high and a lot of you know fast pace and we have the internet and there's all these distractions and stuff that we've really lost the ability to connect and to feel that intimacy and so what i love about what you're doing is that to me and i don't know the history of of your work but to me, it feels like it's bringing back what used to be the norm mm -hmm. and it's bringing it back around for us to be like, wow, there's these options. Yeah. Yeah. And I love, I love what you said about that. I do think that we do have a sort of intimacy with our families because we get to know them better. We get more time with them typically. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people don't realize that when they're going to go into the labor, they think that their doctor will be there to, you know, with them the whole time or the nurse will be with them and they just can't. You might see your doctor for maybe, maybe an hour total, maybe. Mm. Mm. And women need to feel safe in labor and they do need a sense of intimacy. Some people theorize that you really shouldn't give birth any place where you wouldn't make love to your partner because you need that same level of safety and intimacy to be able to let go wow. and release your baby, just like you need to let go to be able to have an orgasm, right? Right. Yes. Wow. That's amazing. I never thought of it like that, but that 
that's so true. Yeah, there's that's some. So there was a physician, I think, or a psychologist that theorized that part of the reason why we women have our G spot it's not only for intimacy, right? Mm-hmm. But when the G spot is stimulated, so as the baby's head comes down, it releases endorphins and fluid to help lubricate everything and to help, you know, with um, reducing pain, that type of thing. Wow, I didn't know that. That see, I love learning something new every day. This is yeah. awesome. So I I'd love if if you'd like to share, you know. I, I'd love for you to to kind of maybe tell me a little bit about what kind of got you into this work because this is really special work. And, you know, again, it's not something you hear every day. I mean, honestly, I think I do know one midwife who used to be like a, I don't know what you call them, but she was a nurse, but she was like kind of a higher up nurse or whatever on this um, labor and delivery floor of this big hospital. And then for whatever reason, you know, maybe she was tired of seeing some of that very disconnected kind of whatever. And she went into, and I hope I'm saying it right, but midwifery. Midwifery. Yeah. Midwifery. A wifery, not with, okay. Wifery, wifery. Wifery. And she became, I guess, trained or certified or licensed or how I'm not even sure how all that works to be honest, but, and that's the only person I know, like you're the first doula I've ever met. And I just like, I just love that name, but I think it's so cool. So how did you get into it? Well, I was going to say real quick, part of why you may not hear about it as much is from what I understand in Illinois, home birth isn't legal from what I understand. I could be wrong. Yeah. So anyway, that's another topic, but that might be why it's not so prevalent. Um, Yeah. So I have always been fascinated with birth since I was a little girl and I would watch women give birth on TV or in a movie and start crying and not because it was scary, just because it touched this big place inside of me. And my Barbies were always pregnant. I was always pregnant. I made my cousin be pregnant so I could deliver her baby. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Yeah. I just always loved it. And been fascinated by it. And so when I had my first baby, it was pretty, a very traumatic experience. And my second birth was better, but it was still traumatic in some ways. But my third, or before my third birth, I found out about the concept of doulas and the continuity of care that we provide. And it really made so much sense to me because I remembered with my second feeling the relief when the physician that I knew who took care of me when I had my miscarriage, when he walked in, because there were 19 different physicians and that was very disconcerting to me. And I had this almost palpable thought of, I know him, I can have my baby now. Mm. And when a physician that I didn't know came in after my baby was born with that second birth, I woke up and he was wise enough to just stop and and say, it's okay, I'm doctor, you know, and he said his name, you're here in the hospital, you're safe. Because Mm. it, you know, those of us that have a history of trauma, like it just like shocked me to have a strange man in my room. So I just, I love the concept of the continuity 
And I had a doula with my third birth, and she was born in a birth center, and it was this very healing experience. And so I pursued becoming a doula, and I love hypnosis and you know, trained in hypnosis, and my practice is geared towards pregnancy and birth and fertility and stress reduction, and it's just been a natural evolution since then. Now, that's amazing. I, I love, you know, I love hearing that because, you know, I, I just really believe that when we follow our heart and we're in that alignment, then, you know, we're really kind of living the best life that we can. And we're working toward, you know, always kind of living in that potential and possibility and, really just staying in that heart center. And I think that's where oftentimes we really kind of make the most impact. And to have that when you're a little girl and then be able to follow that, regardless of like when, you know, like, oh, I'm 18 or I'm 21 or I'm 22 and I'm going to follow it now or I'm 30 or I'm 40 or I'm 50 or I'm 60 or I'm 70, like whatever. It's like follow that, that heart's soul's knowingness, right? You had that since you were little. I love those stories. So you said something about, you know, kind of birth trauma. And I would, I think that for the purposes of kind of, you know, my listeners, I know that there might be a certain idea about what trauma is. And I just want to offer up something real quick before I ask this of you. And I just want to share with you know, the, the audience that trauma can be anything, right? And that I actually read a statistic not too long ago, which kind of blew my mind, that over 70% of the United States adults, as of 2019, over 70% have already experienced one type of trauma. And that over 50% of the children here in the United States have already experienced one or more type of traumas already. And that blew my mind because, again, trauma doesn't have to be like what we typically think of trauma, being in a severe car accident or, you know, uh, a natural disaster or an assault of some kind or a crime victim right? That trauma can be so many different things. So I would love if you would share, when you talk about birth trauma and even your own experiences, and thank you for sharing all of that, by the way, what do you mean by trauma as it relates to what you've seen? One of the, my favorite definitions of trauma is the inability to fulfill the job that we feel we were assigned to do. Mm. Mm. Yeah. If that, does that make sense? What yes. is that? You know, because police officers, firemen, they can see all kinds of horrific things, but usually they get traumatized when they feel like they were unable to fulfill their duty. And and so when we're giving birth, if we felt that we were unable to protect our baby, that could trigger trauma. Or so often in birth, women are not listened to and they're not heard. 
Mm. And that can make a huge difference in a woman feeling like she was violated or experienced trauma, if, if that makes sense. To yeah, that totally makes sense. I mean, and that's, that's the thing. It's like if we don't feel, and, and we as in people, right, not necessarily women, if we as human beings don't feel heard and we feel very dismissed, then yeah, absolutely, that can feel very traumatic because we kind of walk around then and go, well, am I worthy? Am I deserving of being heard? Right. Is there something wrong with me? Like, why aren't these people listening to me? Or why didn't they hear me? Or why didn't they acknowledge that they heard me, right? right. And it can create and shake our our kind of whole foundation and how we see ourselves, right? I so yeah, it makes total sense. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes it's just your birth doesn't go the way that you planned. And everybody around you is saying, well, you're healthy, your baby's healthy. I don't know why you're upset. But the woman needs to mourn the fact that maybe she had a cesarean birth and she was planning a natural birth. Mm -hmm. And we don't mourn well in our country anyway i don't think that's my judgment but i don't think <laughs> me too i'd i'd love to hear your view on that actually because you know it's big part of emotions right and and trauma and and we'll get into in a, in a little bit kind of like the babies right because that's right. such a critical thing as we grow older but i i would love to hear your views on that because i think you're right i don't think that we mourn well in this country or grieve well at all I don't. There's this belief that if we're stoic, that we've grieved well, mm -hmm. or you're supposed to be finished mourning within 24 to 48 hours after the death, or at least within two weeks. Mm. And you and I both know that isn't realistic. <laughs> and yeah. that our culture just, it's kind of afraid of death. It's afraid of strong emotions sometimes as a whole and you know even in birth like women that birthed better they were quiet they were quiet they didn't make noise so you know women get in their head i was too loud in my birth but our bodies know how to mourn but we shut it down you know if somebody had experiences a shocking loss, they will wail, right? They wail. Yeah. yeah. And we women in birth, we can moan and we can make sounds. And there's certain sounds that women make in labor that those of us that do birth, we run because we know there's a baby really? coming, right? There's yeah. just sounds that women make. And so our bodies know how to do this. We like everything very controlled, yeah. in my opinion. But there's a, a sad statistic that 35 to, I think, 50% of women experience birth trauma. 25 mm. to 9% will experience birth-related PTSD. And many pre- and perinatal psychologists feel that the birth trauma for babies is epidemic right now. So... Yeah, that's, that's the stage. How are you treated the very moment that you take your breath? Mm. 
how is that mama feeling while she's pregnant? Is she supported? Is she being inundated by messages from the media, from her family, from her caregiver, that birth is a scary process? And I don't ever want to discount when women have hard labors. Sometimes women have hard labors. Sometimes scary things happen. But we tend, as a society, the media, television, movies, we paint birth as this horrible, scary experience, and it doesn't have to be. But if the woman is constantly worried, well, what if this happens? What if that happens? You know, it's normal to worry when we're pregnant. We're going to worry. But if it, if it gets aggravated, that poor woman, all those scenarios she paints in her head, we know that can put you into fight or flight. You're dumping those stress hormones into the body and the stress hormones cross the placenta and get into the amniotic fluid. They, if a woman is extremely stressed, that stress can affect the hardwiring of the baby's brain. And we don't always look at the mental and emotional and spiritual well-being of our mothers. Yeah. Well, um, and it sounds like the babies either, right? Because right. Right. If mom, yeah. yeah if so mom's long. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, that's okay. If if mom's really stressed, you know, during the pregnancy or just feeling a lot of worry and anxiety and concern about a variety of things or like you said not feeling heard, you know, even during the pregnancy process, then it sounds like what, you know, kind of the research is showing and what you're saying is that that actually can physiologically affect the baby as far as kind of this hardwiring in the brain that's happening, right? Is that, is that? Yeah, it can. It can. And I don't ever want mamas to feel guilty if they're stressed. You know, we can learn techniques and to mitigate our stress. But it does, research is showing that it does impact the baby. Mm. And women that are extremely stressed in their pregnancies, they can have preterm labor, they can have higher pregnancy complications, you know, pregnancy-induced hypertension. The, the list kind of goes on and on. And that, the research is showing that it doesn't just impact the baby short term, but even when they're two, it can affect their feelings of safety and they might be more reserved and more frightened in situations where other children aren't. They did research that was showing when kids are six to eight years old that the child's amygdala is actually enlarged. Wow. And so we need to really change some of our practices and how we treat pregnant women. We need to stop scaring them all the time. And we need to help our babies to enter the world, I feel, in a more gentle and loving way. Mm. Take them away the moment, you know, here they're born and think practices are getting better. But, yeah. you know, babies were... Like when I started my career, babies are born and, you know, the doctor's holding them and they're suctioning them. 
Now they like to let the baby work, you know, any fluid out on their own if they can, but they would suction them, shoot, before the whole body was born, they were already suctioning oh. them out. And then the baby's born and they hold them up and, and then they cut the cord immediately and take the baby to the warmer and then they poke them and prod them. And what a horrible entrance into the world. And even, even while women are pushing, the common practices still today are people yelling at her, one, two, three, push, 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 that's it. Get mad. Get mad at your baby and push. Wow. I understand they want her to have more strength, right? Yeah. But what a horrible thing to tell. It, babies can sense that. And I think it's just an awful way to welcome a child into the world. And what is that imprinting going to be? Am yeah, I safe? Right, right. Am I put on my mother's chest so I can still hear her heart and we can help regulate each other's breathing? Her temperature, mom's temperature will rise to keep her baby warm. It gives them that golden hour at least to ad adjust. Yeah. But we have historically in hospitals just taken the baby's away and then for years you know years ago they would put them in the nursery and separate them for their mothers what kind of separation anxiety do you think oh that gosh. might create right this new life taken from its mother i mean what other mammal we are humans we are nesting mammals <laughs> yeah. try to take a newborn you know <sighs> calf or something calf yeah. or a, a lion like a oh, cub I'm trying yeah. To think of yeah take that newborn from its mother she will eat you oh yeah but she'll she, she'll tear your face off yeah but yeah. we humans have been conditioned yeah to hand over our babies mm -hmm. instinctively women want to hold their baby and make sure their baby's okay and look at their baby and it's just our practices are, I mean, some of them are really good and we're saving a lot of lives, but we're also doing a lot of things wrong. We dump so much money into our U.S. medical system. I forget the thousands and thousands of dollars a second it is, but we have one of the worst maternal and infant outcomes in the developed world. That is Really, that mm -hmm. is scary to me. Mm -hmm. It is yes. scary to me. And, and it puts trauma in a different perspective because, like I said before, you know, trauma can be anything. It's like, you know, I lost my dog when I was seven and the, the teacher yelled at me and said, you know, you could do a better job, Susan, when I was 10. And my parents were disappointed in a decision I made when I was 17, whatever. I mean, all these things could be trauma. And so it's scary to think that these little, beautiful, gentle, pure, tender creatures, these babies who are being born into this world are potentially already coming in kind of through the veil of trauma and being kind of swathed in, in, in trauma. Now, do you think that, you know, you said something before about how the research kind of shows how it's actually kind of changing brain patterns, right? Do the, you, the hard wiring of the brain. The yeah. hard wiring, right. So do you think that 
these babies just, you know, your opinion, regardless of whether or not the research shows this yet or not, or, or actually, I guess, you know, if you know that, I would love to hear that. Do you think, though, based on the work you do and what you've seen, that these babies and even moms, really, then go on to continue to feel kind of that level of trauma around like the pregnancy and maybe even the birth and that it can affect them from an emotional standpoint or a stress standpoint down the road? Yes. Yeah. Women, especially if they already have a history of trauma, they're more likely to develop birth-related PTSD or to develop postpartum depression. Wow. And and we can mitigate, I mean, you can mitigate the trauma, but you know, one of the best ways to do it is to connect with your baby prenatally because bonding doesn't start when the baby's born. Bonding starts really from the time we know that we're pregnant and, and babies can feel if they're wanted or not. And sometimes families need time to work through the surprise. You know, some babies, I say they sneak in, right? They just sneak in. I'm ready to be here. If you're not, sorry. I'm. Knock, so, knock, I'm here. Right. So sometimes families need to work through that. And doing that work ahead of time is important if you're able to. But the more that you can bond with the baby while the baby is still in the womb and connect with the baby, research has shown that it really, really helps to mitigate problems from trauma or complications in the birth, that type of thing. Mm. And, you know, if somebody has a history of anxiety, it can just, you know, it can affect their birth because if you become afraid in labor, it can slow the labor you know, and even if a mom has a nice birth, if she has a history of anxiety that's not addressed, again, she can be more likely to develop postpartum depression, you know, and it can get, that can sneak up on you. Yeah, for sure. So do you think that if the baby is dealing, like if mama is dealing with some stress-related feelings during pregnancy, right? Or, or even flat-out trauma of some kind. Again, something kind of medium to high-level, well, even low-level stress, I guess. And then the baby is born, and there's this kind of stressful, potentially stressful experience, and this potential of this hardwiring of the brain that's already kind of happened. Do you see the research showing, or again, in your experience, that as that child continues to grow, that there's a, then a higher tendency for them to kind of be emotionally reactive in, in a different way than maybe babies who weren't born in that kind of stress environment? Yeah, yeah, that's what the research is showing and pointing to. And they think that there can be a link between stress and ADHD. Yeah, it can. That's why I think that connection, like um, William Emerson, Dr. William Emerson, he feels like, you know, it's never too late that we can create healing with our children as parents because compassion 
empathy, love, it, it creates this, he calls it a healing relational field. And I do think that we can do that to help mitigate the trauma. But if we have parent, as parents haven't done our work to heal our own trauma, mm-hmm. then, you know, children learn from modeling as well. And again, it can affect the way the baby develops and the brain, you know, their brain develops and things like that. So what do you do then when you kind of, you know, find that that's the case? Now, now I know as a doula, you know, you're, you're dealing with kind of childbirth and that childbirth education and, you know, really kind of teaching parents how to, it sounds like really connect and, and stay in this calmer place and release those fears. But what do you do if you see someone who's in this really kind of stressful place? Do you just work on like using strategies and techniques to help them calm or do you help them kind of process through their stressors or? Yeah, I like to work with, because I'm also a childbirth educator and I like to work with families individually so that sometimes it's just helpful to have somebody listen. Like one of my mamas the other day, we spent time in our class just talking about some of the stuff that's going on in her family. And she needed somebody to talk to about about it and process it. And so the way I have things set up, I can I can do that. But I like to teach families to create a relaxation habit within their mind and their body and to help elicit that relaxation response to help mitigate stress and to dump you know the beneficial hormones and chemicals into the body. Yeah. Versus all the catecholamines and things like that. And I feel like the babies get the benefit too in the womb when mom does that. And if you can learn these techniques and strategies to help mitigate the stress and to have education too, to understand the process of birth, because again, there's so much fear out there around it mm-hmm. that women can have a smoother birth and and then it gives them tools too to help postpartum because a new baby it changes your life and you're sleep deprived and and so it's important to have tools to learn how to release that stress and you know and there's a lot of other good programs out there to help with postpartum like Dunstan baby language and happiest baby on the block and and baby makes three by the Gottmans. All of those are really important postpartum to help couples to communicate more effectively. And even with their baby, understand their baby's cries and to help mitigate a lot of that stress. Wow. Now, do you do stuff after the baby's born for like a long time or a period of time? Like if you were to see some of this postpartum depression kind of symptomology do you kind of stick around there and still help out or i'm available more like if somebody wants to see me if they want you know if they need help they need a session um but with postpartum depression you know i'll refer them out to a therapist you know and give them good resources for that but um as a doula 
uh, you know, we're non-medical, so we can give just sometimes a listening ear and helping somebody process their birth. Sure. And validating, yeah, that sounds like that was really awful, you know, that you, they didn't listen to you when you said that you didn't want that vaginal exam. And wow, I can understand how that could trigger your trauma from sexual abuse as a child. You know, I'm just I'm trying to think of an example, but so often caregivers don't even, in the process of birth, even stop to think that a woman might have a history of trauma, of sexual trauma. And how often will they just say, okay, I'm going to do a vaginal exam now. Or they'll touch people without asking. Or pick up her legs and stick them in stirrups or something. <sighs> Those of us with a history of trauma, yeah, that can trigger you. Sure. And, you know, and what other aspects of life is someone allowed to put their fingers, sorry, this is going to be really graphic, but put their fingers in your vagina and your most intimate parts without asking you. Right, right, right. And so there, wait, so there's, now, you know, again, I only have one experience because I have one son, but, and my doctor seemed, you know, was very loving and very gentle and compassionate and asked me, like, oh, I'm going, you know, I want to do this. I'm going to do this now. Is this okay? That kind of thing. So that was awesome. I mean, but there was still a lot of birth trauma because of, you know, the whole situation with the relatively no fluid. And right. you know, because his heart rate kept dropping, they kept flipping me like a pancake. Right. Now I'm on my hands and knees for like 40 minutes and they're trying right. to get his heart rate up. And now I'm on my side. And so that was all super stressful. And then- Add to it that he passed the meconium. For those of you who don't know what that means, it means he passed his first poo poo while he was inside of me. And that's a really unhealthy thing and can be very dangerous for both mother and child. And sure enough, I developed a fever about, you know, he was born at like 7 21 in the morning and it was like 1 a.m., I think, where I started with 102 fever. And we didn't know that he had passed this yet. But at that point, they had stopped the Pitocin and had decided against the emergency C-section because they had done the amnio infusion and his heart rate had settled down and come back up and everything seemed to be fine. And it was around that same time then, about two in the morning, and I had only been one centimeter now this whole time from three in the afternoon till like now two in the morning, even with Pitocin, I had not dilated anymore. And so now I'm, I'm, two centimeters at three in the morning, having had this fever for about two hours now. And now it starts to like, you know, become more rapid where I, I start to dilate and thin out more and more and more to where he's then, you know, born at 721. But in that time frame, my fever is going up. It can't really give me anything. I'm, I'm, like if my teeth are closed, my body's shaking. If my mouth is open, my teeth are chattering, right? Mm -hmm. That was totally uncontrollable. And so, of course, when he's born, you know, so the doctor was being very kind, but they also had to take into consideration that this had been a challenging kind of birth. Um, 
they had been worried about him and, and me, and now we, we both had fevers. And so they kind of had to whisk him away to, you know, clean him off and suction him out and all that stuff. And the only thing, and I didn't know anything about any of this stuff, right? You know, like I didn't know that that's traumatic or whatever, but looking back on it now, I, I surely can see kind of the, the sterile kind of way my poor little baby boy was born. And yet all I saw after they kind of cleaned him off, and I don't care what the nurse, the nurses said to this day, I don't care. And I will, I know what I saw and I know what I felt. And even though he wasn't placed on me right away because they did have to kind of make sure he was okay because he had a fever as well and clean him off and everything. When, when they were kind of cleaning him off the way they had him laying on the, I guess the little table, Mm -hmm. he turned his head to his right. Let me think. Yeah. To his right. And we lock eyes Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden he smiles Mm -hmm. and I'm like, I'm crying, right? And I'm like, he's smiling. And the nurse is like, no, no, sweetie, that's just gas. They can't smile at this point. And I knew that she was wrong. But thinking about what you're saying now, it just made me flash back to that. And that that itself actually felt a little, I, I won't say it was traumatic because I didn't think of it in that terms, but I would call it that now. I remember being a little bit pissed off, I guess, and irritated that she was kind of dismissing what I know I'm seeing and what I know I'm feeling, which is that my son and I locked not only eyes to eyes, but soul to soul. We're communicating soul to soul. And we both were like saying, yes, we're, we're here together now in form. And this is the most pure love that we will ever feel. And we are connected because the gaze of that little boy and the length of his smile, I knew then there was no way it was some weird accidental thing or gas or anything like that. And yet you're right. She was being relatively dismissive, like, oh, that's not possible. As opposed to being nurturing, even if she didn't believe it or agree with it, as opposed to being nurturing and saying, oh, that's so beautiful. Right, right. You two have had a really hard time, and isn't that beautiful that he recognizes you? Yeah. And you two connected in this powerful way. And what entrainment is amazing. And it right. can happen with the mothers. It happens with dads. Dad, you know, baby will be in the warmer, and, and dad's looking at the baby and talking to the baby. And that entrainment that you just described Mm-hmm. happens. And I think when we can have those type of moments, that love, that connection, it can help mitigate, again, a, a difficult birth because yeah. it is, you know, to have amniotic fluid level that low, we like it at least seven. They like to induce, you know, if it's seven and yours was what, one or two. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, very, very low. And that can be dangerous for a baby. And it makes sense that he would have a bowel movement during labor because that can be a sign of baby stress. Now, sometimes it's just the birth I did the other day, the baby was post-dates, 
baby's getting squeezed, that plumbing is working. So <laughs> you get squeezed and the baby will have, you know, a bowel movement in the, in, in the fluid during labor. Yeah. Yeah. And they can have meconium. And sometimes it's not an issue at all. And then other times if they aspirate it and get in their lungs, it can be very dangerous. And right, yeah. So, you know, but they are starting, at least here in Central Florida, starting to change the protocol now that if a baby has meconium, unless it's really, really thick, they will put the baby on the chest and see how the baby transitions. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. And so they're starting to change that a little bit. Now, if baby is born and they're, you know, blue and floppy and have, you know, of course we need to take the baby to the warmer and do all of that. Yeah, right. They're starting to realize how important that skin day skin is and delayed cord clamping and yeah, no, I didn't have any of that, boy, because, yeah. you know, because he had passed that and he had a fever, too. They were really yeah, concerned yeah. because yeah. they were yeah. like, well, we have to make sure that, you know, this infection, that, that it could just be from the labor and the problems, but we have to absolutely make sure it's not right. an infection because that's, that is dangerous. And they couldn't get my fever down even after he was born, you know, and just all this stuff. And, and yeah. they had trouble kind of you know, pumping because I wanted to breastfeed and because they wouldn't kind of let me have him all the time for mm -hmm. like the first day to two days that we were in there because it, he also had a little kidney thing that we had seen on ultrasound while I was pregnant that we knew they were going to have to test for once I gave birth to him. There was a, a kink in his um, ureter coming out of his kidney and could have been very dangerous if it didn't kind of unfold and, and right. unkink. And so unfortunately, I didn't know better then. I agreed to, you know, a couple of tests that needed to be run and, you know, kind of put my poor little boy through a little more trauma. But in, in looking back on it, I, I'm thinking, wow, I, I guess the birth that I had, which I thought was kind of traumatic because of the whole we, we need to do an emergency C-section thing and flipping me and all that stuff and the amnio infusion stuff. It was really traumatic long before that and even after. And uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, go, I, well, I was just curious, like, in your work, do you find then even, again, with this research kind of showing this then, from an emotional standpoint, do you think that it plays a role in kind of how these babies who grow up into childhood then and grow up as toddlers, you know, as they're growing, do you think that this affects their ability to kind of emotionally, I guess I'll say be, be more stable in the sense of you said something important earlier when you were talking about kind of the research and how the environment, you know, can play this role, right? Like if you have this mom who's, I think you said this before, right? If you have this mom who's kind of like really stressed and really under a lot of anxiety that we're seeing kind of what happens to the baby and as the baby grows into childhood, right? Right, right. Do you think that that also plays a role with other emotions too? I would think so. Like you can, 
just, and nothing, I don't want to act like anything's a hundred percent, right? Nothing's right. black and white and right, sure. And one thing that's traumatizing to one mom may not be to a different mom. And that's important to remember too. And that even if we have a stressful birth or something's going on, just to talk to the baby and explain it. They're more aware than we give them credit for. I know that was really hard, honey. We just want to keep you safe. And I know that's stressful, but mommy's here and I love you and you're so precious. And just to reinforce that feeling of safety. But, you know, if mom is being traumatized and feels, you know, if she's traumatized, is she going to be in that space to do that? But I think... You know, if she settles and if the people around her support her and help her settle, then she can be that for her baby. Or sometimes like a, a friend of mine that's a birth worker, when her third child was born, it was a bit traumatic. And so they got in the jacuzzi when the baby was a little older and they reenacted the birth and wow. created this more gentle imprint. Or, you know, you can get in the tub or just even visualizing it the sure. way that you wanted it to be. There's a lot of power in that. But many of us in the field feel like babies that have a more gentle birth, that they are more relaxed and more happy. And children that have a more traumatic birth, that they tend to be a little more anxious, a little more cautious, a little more reserved. They might have a little more trouble self-regulating, right? Because they don't feel safe. I can totally see that. I actually read something. Was it a study? I think it was a study. In in a previous episode, I talked about how I have this phenomenal memory with like with clients and things like that, which I do. And, you know, kind of like with the hubby, right? You know, and he he can kind of hate that if we're having a disagreement or a conversation and I'm like the little tape recorder, right? That just rewound and then oh resume but when it comes to studies and and i talked about this in that episode when it comes to studies and remembering like who did it and the name and the date and where it was at like i couldn't tell you squat it's kind of the same way with songs and titles of uh titles of songs and artists right i can know all the lyrics but i can't remember any of that stuff but there was this amazing article i'm pretty sure it was a research study that was done where, oh, I totally lost. How did that happen? Don't you hate when that happens? I think I was probably, I think that's because of the trauma I suffered during childbirth. Because actually I was a C-section, right? And so were my brothers. And I've, mm-hmm. I've heard, oh, that's what it was about. Oh my God, see, somehow, isn't it funny how your brain can just go like loop and then it loses and then it comes right back. Right. Right. So it was a research study about c-section babies that there is a higher tendency with babies who were born via c-section to to kind of feel more of that stress and have a little bit more trouble like self-regulating they just have a little more kind of problem i guess from this more emotional kind of and mental standpoint and i don't mean a mental health disorder per se but just more of a a little bit more of a challenging time because of that safety issue, because they were literally ripped out of their mother's stomach, stomach, right? Because that's how C-sections happen, right? 
Right. Well, and they're starting to do more, um, they call them, I think, conscious cesarean births, where when the baby's born, they will, once they're lifting the baby up out of the belly, they have a little window in the, I'm trying to think of the name of this. See, now my brain is sleeping. The name <laughs> of the, the, I want to call it, like the sterile field, right? They have up a sheet or a Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't think of the name of it. But they now are putting a plastic window and they'll lower that so that the mom can actually see her baby born because with the cesarean, sometimes women feel like they didn't give birth and they didn't see their baby be born. So that can help. And putting the baby, you know, they need to take the baby to the warmer because they don't get squeezed through the vagina, which helps to work the fluid out of their lungs. So they usually do need a little support, but then they'll try to put baby and mama skin to skin and, and let them have that bonding. And then dad go with or you know, the other mama go with the baby to help mitigate that stress for the child. And it's making a huge difference. Because when I started my career, sometimes women would have a cesarean and they wouldn't see their baby for six, eight, 10, sometimes 12 hours. And what, what does that do? And I'm not talking about, you know, if there's complications like happened with your son, then it's important that they're monitored. They may need to be in the, the nursery it's it's so important again our technology is saving lives but we got so technological we're not trusting the process of birth anymore either and interfering too much and i don't know basic midwifery practices are pretty much the same like they're taking advantage of the technology in ways that help moms with sonograms and testing and all of that but the way a baby is born is pretty much the same as it's mm. been yeah in hundreds of years and there's these good care practices that thank goodness research is starting to catch up with yeah yeah this has just been this has been fascinating and just you know you guys are going to hear a lot me talking about my mind is blown my mind is blown because I may sound like all super enthusiastic and happy, happy, happy all the time. Like we talked about in another episode where I was like, come on, that's not real life, right? You know, nobody's, nobody's like that all the time, but I am super enthusiastic because I love to learn. I love to kind of understand kind of the human condition and our sets of human experiences. And so this has been fascinating to me because this is not an area of my expertise or even my interest as far as like a career or you know being in support and so i love kind of hearing how you know this whole idea of trauma which again we know it doesn't have to be it isn't this just specific kind of sets of experiences that fall into this trauma category and that anything can really be traumatic depending upon the person's, you know, personality, their experiences up to that point, their conditioning, their belief systems, all that kind of stuff. Like you said, Michelle, right? For one, it might be traumatic. And for another, it won't be traumatic. But what I love about our our time together today has been that 
I don't think I ever really realized how much trauma the baby and, and mama can go through and even the rest of the family. Right. When they're pregnant, for one, then during the birth process, too, and then even after the birthing process. And with some other work that, that I've done for about 15 years, that's in addition to my work as a therapist, it's part of kind of that therapeutic and coaching kind of background, but it's very specific and it's a specific set of processes and processing work. And one of those processing pieces, it's a guided visual imagery processing piece, kind of took me back to pre-birth. And you know, y'all may think I'm a lunatic and cray cray for, for saying that, but the truth is, you know, I, I know what I know and I know what I experienced and I I got validation and confirmation of this from my my family after the fact. So I know it wasn't made up in my head, but I was kind of in the in the pre-birth stage, choosing to kind of come into this form. And my mother was pregnant with me. And I kind of knew it was halfway. So it was kind of halfway through the pregnancy. The beginning half, everything seemed what I'd call fine, happy, you know, joyous, uh, just kind of, you know, living in the womb and things are going along great. And then all of a sudden I could feel a shift in my mother, right? I could feel more what I'd call like, angry and frustrated energy, more sadness, more stress, more annoyance. And, you know, then I was born. And I don't remember much else of that. I just kind of remember that set of experiences. And by the time I learned this, my mother had already been gone for a number of years. So I asked my father, who was still alive, and I said, Dad, I said, do you remember when mom was pregnant with me? And he's like, yeah. And I said, was it a, cause I didn't want to put words in his mouth and tip him off to what I was asking. Right. I wanted to see his honest recollection of what he had remembered about her pregnancy with me. And I said, was it, you know, an uneventful kind of pregnancy or were there any big changes or anything that kind of happened? And you know, he's telling me and sharing me some stuff. And he gives me enough that leads me to say then, did you guys fight? Because I knew at that point, I wasn't putting words in his mouth because of other things he'd already said. So I said, did you guys fight at all during the pregnancy? And he's like, well, yeah, actually, you know, XYZ months into it, I guess about halfway, you know, we started having some problems and we were kind of fighting all the time. And I just remember sitting down Again, mind blown, not always hard, not always that hard to do. And I remember thinking, holy shit, I actually like remember that. I felt that. And so I love what you're doing because I don't know about anybody else. I know Michelle believes it and I know it to be true because I remember it that it's crazy to think that we are potentially affecting our children or our partners and, and our babies by not being consciously aware of how to diminish the potential traumas that 
the whole family, but especially mama and the baby go through. Yeah, and I think babies in the womb, they don't have the same adult abilities to work through that stress. Yeah. So, so they say it's kind of like being stuck in a traffic jam all the time. Ugh. And so they, do, they don't have the tools and they don't have the relief. And, and some pre and perinatal psychologists, you know, they believe that babies sometimes they can't even distinguish themselves from their mothers. Mm. So they take on the mother's feelings as well. But babies can sense, again, if they're wanted or not, if the parents are fighting if mom's happy about the pregnancy, if dad's not, if there's something going on with another family member, the babies can sense it. For so long, we thought babies didn't have any awareness, you know, till they're one or something, but they really do. And I don't want anybody listening to feel stressed about feeling stressed. Right. Because, because <laughs> a little bit of stress is not going to hurt the baby. And yeah. Cortisol levels go up a little bit during pregnancy anyway. Mm -hmm. And it's the chronic ongoing stress. Little short bursts of stress, it actually helps build resiliency. So sure. that's not the issue. It's, it's when we have all this stress bottled up and we don't have the tools to mitigate it. Like yeah. go see a therapist, go to a counselor, do meditation, do some kind of practices elicit the relaxation response to help mitigate the stress and sometimes it's just like right now i live in florida we're preparing for a hurricane this has been a very stressful week mm. for a lot of people yeah. so but if we can stop and do something to help release those good hormones then it's going to help mitigate that stress for the pregnant mama for the baby in the womb the baby gets that benefit yeah. Of those good hormones to help counteract it. But it's amazing how aware babies are. It's so cool to me because I have the babies or the mamas listen to, you know, guided relaxation sessions. And yeah. after babies are born, they'll recognize my voice, which if I see them even months later, like sometimes they'll go to me when they won't go to somebody else, but they know the sound of my voice, just like they know the sound of their parents' voice. And it's pretty amazing. They're so much more aware than we give them credit for. And if we can give them a better foundation, people are so worried, pregnant women, about what they eat and, you know, trying to exercise, but they don't always take care of their mental well-being, their emotional yeah. well-being. And that's important too. Totally true. Totally true. And I just saw a... A picture. Yeah, it was a picture that went viral. I think it was from out of the country. I want to say South America somewhere. I could be wrong. Of this mama who had just given birth to this baby. And they had the baby on mama's, I think it was a little girl. Yeah, it was a little girl. Had, had her on mama's tummy up near her breast. It didn't look like she was breastfeeding. It just looked like the baby was kind of up on her chest, right? and the mother swears up and down that the baby was dead asleep. But as soon as daddy walked up 
And he spoke to the little girl because he had spoken to her every single day, multiple times a day while she was pregnant with her, sang to her, talked with her, all these amazing kinds of interactions. As soon as she heard his voice, she literally woke up. You could see in this picture the smile that was like off of her face. There was, that was no gas. This was like, she was even reaching up. It looked like her little hand was like, like she's like, daddy. And, you know, she hears his voice kind of thing. And the picture has gone viral because people had that idea like, oh, babies can't this and babies can't that. And, Yet they hear us and they feel things that I can physically attest to myself. And so I love, I love all that you're doing, Michelle, because I think it's such, we need people like you who are so loving and so compassionate. And we need more people like you who want to step into this kind of arena to provide alternatives for those you know, who, who maybe don't know any better that they have choice. Right. right? Because I believe wholeheartedly that the children we're bringing into the world today around the world, but especially here in the Western world, bringing them in under a veil of potential trauma or all the kinds of traumas they can experience and face as children you know, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with being a single income home if there's a divorce situation or a non-married situation. Fine, to each their own, right? That's, you know, I hate to see people got divorced, but I'd rather have the children grow up in a healthy, happy environment and have two separate parents than two parents in the same household who are fighting all the time, which is way more stressful for everybody, especially the growing young children. But I think that we are I think more and more children are being raised in that fear or in a fear, right? And because of that, they've become much more emotionally, I'll say, reactive and fragile in a lot of ways. And I think they're a lot more sensitive. Like you said, the babies are much more aware. I think, you know, babies and children are much more aware and sensitive as they're growing and it starts to diminish them a bit the the longer they're alive and that we need to pay attention to that. So if there was one kind of singular piece of advice that you could, and I know I'm asking a lot here because I'm asking for a singular and, and what you and I both do is so much deeper, deeper and bigger and broader. It's like, really Sue one piece, like you're going to lock me into that box. (laughs) But if there was one piece of advice you could offer up to the listeners, whether they're, pregnant or it's during the birthing process or even after what do you think the main message you would want them to really understand about their relationship with their baby that bonding begins it can begin even before the baby's conceived Mm. to really even if you're having a hard time to just stop and say, I love you so much, sweetheart. Mommy's having a really hard day, but Mm. I love you, and I love feeling you grow inside of me, and I can't wait to have you in my arms. I mean, just like you do with a child who's, you know, 
three or four or five. Mom's having a bad day. I love you. It doesn't yeah. have anything to do with you. Right. And to really work to maintain that that field of love because that love can heal. It can mitigate the stress. And to also trust your inner wisdom, trust your gut, mm. and help your children to remember to trust their own gut too. Yes. I think that's part of what's going on too, why everybody's so anxious. We're taught from a young time, young I mean, from when we're very young, that we can't trust ourselves. And so trust so your true. baby, yeah. trust yourself. Love yeah. that. That is so perfect. And, you know, if there are people out there that would love to get in touch with you, you know, you've generously offered a, an, a free gift to all the listeners, which thank you so much for that. That's amazing. I'd love to hear a little bit about, you know, what it is. But if there, if there are people that would love to either get your free gift or get in touch with you to talk with you or maybe even work with you and learn more, how can they do that? They can reach out to me at birtheeseservices.com or they can email me directly at michelle at birtheeseservices.com. And it's a guided relaxation session that they can reach out for. And the purpose of it is to create that healing field and to focus on that connection and that love between you and your child, you know, whether your child is still in the womb or whether your child is 50, you can still create healing through that relational field. Yeah, I love that. Well, thank you so much for being with us today, Michelle. It's been such an honor to have you here. And I hope all of you recognize at home that you know, this is very special work because we take for granted, you know, we're pregnant, we we go to the doctor, we like, okay, come to the hospital when you're ready to have your baby. And so then, you know, we go and all these things happen. And then we kind of take the baby home and we just kind of live life. And we forget that all these little experiences, even by the baby, can be perceived in a way that can increase our stress, create emotional trauma, create emotional hardship and heartache. And if we don't learn how to diminish those things and move through them, we will continue to be hijacked by them. Mm -hmm. And so I thank you, Michelle, for being here. I thank all of you for listening in. And if you're loving what you hear, please feel free to share and, and rate and review and maybe subscribe to the show and know that all of the details to where to get Michelle's meditation, which sounds fabulous, by the way, or to get in touch with her or to me to give me feedback and let me know kind of what's happening for you can be found in the show notes. For now, I wish you all a very special, gentle, calm, loving day and loving week. And I will see you all next week. Ciao for now. You've been listening to Infinite Possibilities, Rise from the Ashes of Your Past, where you're letting go, discovering who you are, and 
taking your life back. See the show notes for important links on today's show and go to theinfinitelypossible.com for free resources, feedback, or to let Susan know what you'd like to see on the show.